do appreciate that special. Turn, if you would, this morning to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. As you're finding your place, I'd like to begin by saying thank you to each person who put something in that card for me for my birthday. Just want you to know I do appreciate your generosity to me and your kindness, so thank you very much to all uh, who had a hand in that, who uh, were kind enough to, to contribute. So I just want you to know that I appreciate it and I uh, want to try to express that properly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we will get started. Fathers, we come to you this morning. It is, uh, it is a privilege to be in your house today. Lord, this is something that many would like to be able to do, but health does not allow them to, to be in your house. It's something that others would love to be able to do, but because of the land and the region that they live in, this simply is not allowed. And it's an opportunity that we have this morning, and we ought to be thankful for it, and we ought to take from this every aspect of it we can and make our lives better because of it. And God, I pray that you'd help us to do that in these next few moments. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to give attention to your word and that we would respond however would be appropriate in your sight. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may remember that last week we began looking in verses 13 and 14 and we watched as James began to address the subject of sin. And last week I tried to remind us that sin can manifest itself in many, many different ways. It can manifest itself in my life in one particular way and sin may manifest itself in your life in a completely different way. But I tried to remind us that no matter what the sin may be, all sin is an offense to God. There is not one sin that is more offensive than another sin. There is obviously not a sin that would be less offensive than another sin. We know that sin has different consequences, but sin is always an offense to God. And I tried to show us last week from the text because of James' explanation that there is a reason that we sin. There are reasons that cause us to sin. And it's because we are drawn away by our own lust or our own desires. Those things that we would naturally have some struggles with, it's when we take the bait, so to speak, and let that sin manifest itself again in our lives. And I tried to show us last week that over the course of our days, over the course of our years, if we don't address the real root of the sin, if we don't address the real problem for, of the sin, that sin will continue to manifest itself over and over and over again. And so whatever the sin is, if we want victory, we've got to begin addressing it at the, the core of the problem and, and, and taking care of it from where the, the problem is actually found. And so I don't know if the message was a help for you last week. I, I think it was a help for me. I believe it was. And today we're going to build upon that. But before we do, I want us to think about just something that, that kind of illustrates where we're headed and I think the overall tone of the message this morning or what I want the tone to be. But this morning I think all of us would agree that over the course of our lives we learn many lessons by one or two means, by, by a couple of means. Uh, we learn these lessons. One of the ways in which we learn lessons is through the avenue of observation, correct? Amen. 
We see what has happened in the lives of other people, and based on what we have seen, what we have witnessed, what we have observed, we can learn certain lessons, and those lessons can be good or they can be bad, they can be positive or negative. So observation is one way in which we learn certain lessons, and then experience is an excellent teacher in life, is it not? Whenever we have gone through experiences ourselves, whenever we have gone through situations, again, sometimes what we have learned by experience, it can be good or bad, positive or negative, but experience is an amazing teacher that all of us have learned from. So it can be experience or it can be observation, but those would be two of the main ways in which we learn as we go through life. Now that in mind, I know that we know this, it's true of every one of us to some degree, but as we go through life, there are other people who come into our lives who may not have the same level of experience, who may not have been able to observe maybe as much as we've been able to observe in life, and so there are just certain things they may not know or may not understand. And because of that, we're not trying to run their lives. We're not trying to dictate to them how they should live. But we would say something like this. You know, this might be something you'd like to consider. This might be something you'd like to think about. You know, whether it be for yourself or for your, you and your spouse or for you and your family, whatever it may be, you know, I've seen this to be true or we've learned this from personal experience and we try to help people out who, again, may not have observed it or who may not have experienced it. We're just trying to be a positive influence in their lives. Now, you and I have no control over as to how that's received, but that's something that I think all of us have tried to do at some point, have we not? We tried to help someone out based on what we've learned through observation or experience. Now, I mentioned that this morning for this reason, that in our spiritual lives, a reality for every one of us is this, is that none of us have arrived in our spiritual lives. In our spiritual lives, not one of us has reached the mountaintop of ultimate wisdom, of ultimate knowledge, of ultimate understanding so every one of us still have things we can and should learn. We don't seem too convinced of that this morning, but I'm going to say it again. Every one of us still have things that we can learn in our spiritual lives. And there are many ways in which we can learn spiritual truths, but I think one of the ways in which we can learn spiritual truths is when certain people come to us and say things like this. Have you thought about this? Maybe you ought to consider this. Have you given any attention to this? I just want to put this bug in your ears, so to speak. I just want to plant this little seed, and I want you to think about this. One of the ways in which we can learn in our spiritual lives is by that friendly influence that someone tries to have in us. Now, our response is only up to us, but we would be wise, would we not? If somebody tried to influence us, if, so, if, influence us, if someone tried to help us, 
would it not be wise to take serious what they've said and say, okay, now, now what could I learn from this and how could I be helped by this? They can't control our actions any more than we can control the actions or the response of someone else. But it would be wise of us to take serious what someone else offered when done in a good spirit and a right attitude. Now, why mention that? Well, this morning we're going to begin by looking in verse number 16. In verse number 16, we read these simple words, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Whenever we read those last three words of verse number 16, my beloved brethren, I think most of us would agree on this conclusion that this seems to be a statement that is made somewhat delicately or somewhat tenderly. It doesn't appear to be one of those statements in Scripture that has a measure of harshness to it or a measure of great directness with it. This is a statement that is made somewhat tenderly, somewhat delicately, somewhat softly, not to suggest effeminately, but it's the idea, it's the, it's the principle of this kind of an approach Hey, listen, folks, you might want to think about this. You might want to give this some thoughts. You, you might want to, to just dwell on this for a little bit and see what there is to, to glean from this, to gather from this. And, and so what did James say that he wanted the beloved brethren to be aware of, to be mindful of, to, to maybe think about because of something he learned by way of observation or experience? Well, he said this, he said, do not err. Do not err. What does it mean whenever James says, do not err? It simply means this, to be led astray, or to be deceived, or to be led into error. To lead astray, to be deceived, or to lead into error. So here is James, and he's writing to a group of believers, and we'll deal with that more in just a couple of moments, but, but he's writing a letter to believers, and he is simply cautioning them, and he is simply trying to give this word of warning to them, listen, my beloved brethren, those that I love, those that I have an affection for, those that I have a fondness for, do not allow yourselves to be led astray. Do not allow yourselves to be deceived. Do not allow yourselves to be led into error. No doubt James had witnessed this happen at different times over the course of his life. And he didn't want to see the same thing happen to anyone else. So do not err, my beloved brethren. Do not be deceived. Do not be led astray. As he makes this statement, obviously there's a context in which this is being made, is there not? Amen. And the context is very, very important. The context begins in verse number 13 that we looked at last week. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. 
But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So the subject of sin is what's being addressed and being dealt with. And not to review again last week's message, but, but again, just the thought that every one of us struggle with sin in different areas. My struggle may be different than your struggle and yours different than someone else's. But he says we're, we're drawn away as a result of our own lust and our own desires. But he goes on to say in verse number 15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Again, this morning's message is intended, and the hope is that it will build upon last week's lesson or message. But he said in verse number 15, that when lust or desire or craving hath conceived. What does that mean? It just means this that when something has taken a hold in a person's life, that when something has taken a hold and when something has taken root in a person's life. I don't know if I'm going to be able to illustrate it this morning in the way that I ought, but I'm I'm going to take a couple of moments to try to explain this in in, in such a way that that this will clarify things and try to draw all this together last week's and this morning's message. But, But I want us to think for just a moment, like we talked about last week, the sin of rebellion or the sin of an obstinate spirit, okay? Because many of us can identify with such a sin, can we not? We can identify with this rebellious spirit. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. We don't want our husbands telling us what to do. We don't want our employers telling us what to do. We don't want our parents telling us what to do. We don't want some pastor telling us what to do. Just fill in the blank. So many of us, we don't want that to happen in our lives, right? That can be a struggle, that sin of rebellion and an obstinate spirit. All right, so that is the manifestation of the sin, correct? The rebellion and how that is acted out in our lives, that is the manifestation of what we struggle with, that being pride and arrogance, correct? That is where our rebellion and our obstinate spirit is birthed from, is from this spirit of pride, this spirit of arrogance. But I want us to see this, that before the pride and the arrogance can manifest itself in rebellion or obstinance, there has to be something even smaller than that that begins to get a hold of our lives and take root that leads to not just the conception, but the birthing of the sin that is now manifest in a person's life. You understand this? It is a process that takes place. See, you and I, we may struggle with rebellion. We may struggle with this spirit of obstinance that doesn't want to be told what to do. And so here is what Satan would love to happen. And this is what Satan would love to see take place, that if somebody told us to do something that we didn't appreciate and we didn't want to do at the time, that's when Satan plants the little seed that says, you don't have to do that. That's when Satan plants the little seed that says, who do they think they are? You're not required to do that. They're not your boss. They're not your authority. They're not your superior. We're living in a different day. See, it's in that moment that the little seed is planted. 
Now, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with the little seed of rebellion unless the little seed of rebellion is not taken uh, or, or not dealt with or addressed because that's when the pride and the arrogance begins to, to develop that seed that was planted and that's what manifests itself in the act of rebellion. couldn't help but think of it this way and if this is offensive to you or or makes you uncomfortable i i certainly do apologize and i mean that but i want us to think about a sin that is so prevalent in our day today the sin of immorality because the sin of immorality is very very prevalent is it not okay now understand please The sin of immorality is nothing more than the manifestation of other problems. Whatever those problems may be, but you know where those problems began? In a thought that got hold of a person's life. Think about this. I am today a 43-year-old man, and I'm not dead yet. I'm not even near dead yet, I don't think. So I want to explain something in light of this concept, in light of this principle. I am a happily married man today. But that doesn't mean that Satan is not gunning after my marriage. So you've got marriage, and then you've got the issue of immorality in some way or a young person's life who isn't married, and they've got another issue of immorality in their life. Okay, that sin of immorality, that is the manifestation of a bigger sin. And so you have to look at it. Okay, well, what led to this and what prompted this? Well, this contributed and this led to it. But you know where immorality starts? It starts in the little thought that gets hold of a person's life. See, I'm 43 years old. I'm not dead yet. And so you know what Satan would love to do? He'd love to go after my marriage. And you know what Satan's going to do? He's going to try to plant little thoughts in my mind. Come on. We can act like we're self-righteous and we're better than this, but none of us are above this. And so you know what Satan wants to do? He wants to put this little thought in my mind. And he wants to plant this little seed. And you know what he's hoping? He is hoping that it will find some fertile soil in my mind and that it would be something that I would think about and something that I would dwell upon and something that I would give my attention to. And, And here's what Satan is trying to do. He is trying to plant things in our lives that would that would eventually be able to take some root and be able to find some life in ourselves personally. Now again, if if that is not my particular struggle, then that may not be the seed that he's going to plant. But I'm just telling us, whatever our struggle is, the problem starts with something small that gets a hold of a person's life. Now, I'm not trying to be confusing in this. I'm not trying to bounce around, but I I want us to see this. 
The seed being cast into our lives, that is not the sin and that is not the problem because Satan is going to tempt every one of us. But when we have the problem is when we let that seed be conceived in our lives. So Satan may put a person in front of me. Satan may put an image in front of me that he would hope would be that hook that would be that seed that is planted in me that would eventually one day bring about immorality. But if I don't let the seed take root, then the immorality will never take place. If I don't let the seed of addiction ever get planted, it will never produce the problems that come with addiction. I just want us to see what what James is trying to convey here. He is saying, listen, all of us, we are tempted as a result of our own lust and enticed. And he says, then when lust, that little seed, that, that, that small little beginning, when that hath conceived, it's, he says, it is that which bringeth forth or produces sin. You know where every sin starts? In the heart and in the mind of the individual. I don't care what your struggle is. I don't care what my struggle is. When the sin is manifested in our lives, though it may take some work, though it may take some effort and some energy, you can track it down to the seed that was planted here, there, or someplace else. This is the problem. It was rooted in this, but it manifested itself in this particular area. So he says of our sin, he says, it bringeth forth sin. And notice what he says next, and sin when it is finished. Well, what does it mean whenever he says when sin is finished? It just means this, that when sin has run its course. Because there's a divide or, or there, is a, there is an intended end to Satan's desires to get us to sin. He says when Sin is finished, or when it hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished or run its course, he said it bringeth forth death. There is always a designed end in Satan's mind of what he hopes to accomplish if he can find fertile soil for that seed of sin in our lives. And James says, here is what happens. He says, it bringeth forth death. Now it's important that we understand the context of all this because here is what some may tend to think. Well, he's speaking of death and so he is speaking of spiritual death. He is speaking of separation from God in hell. Well, hold on, who is he writing to? He's writing to believers, correct? Okay, so, so if I'm a child of God and if you're a child of God, then my eternal destiny is forever settled, is it not? Okay, 
So if James says when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death, well, friend, he could not possibly be speaking of spiritual death and a person's eternity in hell. So if he says it bringeth forth death, then what does that mean? Well, it's not even talking about a physical death, much less a spiritual death. But the word death also means in this context, it means to be a source of misery. Of great distress, of great discomfort. When sin is finished, you know what James says it produces? It produces misery. That is the designed end of sin from the perspective of Satan. He wants to make lives miserable. And when sin hath finished itself, when sin hath hath run its course, here is what sin does. It always, 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 always makes people miserable. It always produces distress and discomfort in their lives. You find someone who allowed the seed of sin to be planted in some fertile soil, and it began to grow and manifest itself in different ways, I promise you at the end of that sin, there is no life, there is no joy, there is no happiness, there is no peace. It is misery and discomfort and distress. That is what sin produces. Find me a happy rebel. You'll not find it. You find me the person who is rebellious in their marriage, and you find me that person who is also involved in a happy marriage. They don't exist because you cannot let rebellion manifest itself in a marriage and there be peace and joy and harmony and gladness in that marriage. You find me the rebel at work who is also a happy employee, and and I'll tell you, you're lying because they don't exist, because happiness and rebellion don't ever mix with one another. It always bringeth forth misery and, and discomfort and distress. You find the child who doesn't know how to submit to their parents, who refuses to submit to their parents. You don't have a happy child there. You find the person who is addicted, as we said last week, to food. And you see how that runs its course. You see how it, how it manifests itself eventually. Those of us who are addicted to food, it doesn't end well for us. Thus, all the health issues that we get to deal with as a result of the addiction. No need to amen that. We just know it's true. Because that's what sin does. It leads to death. It leads to misery, discomfort, and distress. You find the person who has been immoral, whether it be pre-marriage or post-marriage, and you find the person who has played that all the way through, and you never find someone who is happy and rejoicing and celebrating in what they accomplished. Because the designed end of sin 
from Satan's perspective is always to bring about misery, to bring about pain, to bring about destruction. That's what Satan desires to do. So follow the thoughts here for just a moment. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. If some temptation were to come into your life, don't ever assume that that was God who did that because God cannot be tempted with sin, neither tempteth he any man. But every man, you and I, we are tempted when we are drawn away of his own lust, where we're drawn away because of our own desires and we're enticed. The, the hook has been baited and, and it's been set and then he says, then lust, when, when lust hath conceived, when that seed hath been planted, and it's been planted on fertile soil, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, when it has run its course, it brings forth death. Beloved brethren, those of you that I love, James says, to those of you that, that I have a fondness for and an affection for, James says, do not err. Do not err. What does that mean? It means this, to be led astray, to be deceived, to be led into error. What is he cautioning them of? As, as he gives them this friendly warning, this, this tender, kind, compassionate, delicate warning, as he says to them, my beloved brethren, do not err. What is he warning them of by way of being led astray? Well, is he warning them of the manifestation of sin? Well, I don't think so because at that point it's already too late. You realize this, right? I mean, once the sin has already manifested itself, that's not really the time to warn someone. You know, once the health issues are there, that's when we don't go to them and say, well, you probably ought to stop. No, they're already there, so that's not what I'm warning you of. Okay, well, well are you warning them then of the things that, that, that have caused this sin? Well, that doesn't seem to make sense either because that's already in place. So whenever he says, do not err, my beloved brethren, well, what could he possibly be warning them of? What seems to make sense if we follow the flow of this is just this. Beware of the seed planted. Do not err, my beloved brethren. That little thing that Satan has placed in your mind, that, that little seed that Satan has kind of placed in your heart, don't be led astray. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. Because see, when that seed, when that seed finds fertile soil, and it begins to grow and it begins to develop and it begins to mature. 
when it finally manifests itself, you're going to have more problems on your hands than you know what to do with. You're going to be miserable. Do not err. Don't be led astray. Don't be deceived. Somebody may sit here this morning and you may say, Brother Kyle, I'm listening and I'm, I'm paying attention, I promise you. And I know I've said this before, but, but Brother Kyle, I'm trying, but I, I'm, I'm just not following your thought process here. Okay, I want us to think about this. How many of us know that sin destroys? Are any of us unaware of that? No, we all know that sin destroys. If I came up to you this morning and I said, hey, listen, that sin is going to destroy that person's life, you would say, amen, I know that it is, and I wish they'd stop, right? If I came to you about a completely different situation and I said, hey, listen, if that person continues on in that direction, on that road, on that path, that sin is going to make them miserable. We'd all agree to that, would we not? Because we know that sin is destructive and sin brings forth death. We know that. But we sin. And we produce and create our own level of misery many times, do we not? So where did we err? Where did we get led astray? Where did we get deceived? Well, this is where we erred. Because we didn't believe that that would one day produce this. Because that's what Satan does. Satan just plants the seed. Now, if we're thinking right, we say, no, 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 I I know where that'll lead, and that'll lead to misery. But if I err, then here's what I think. I think this will never manifest that. Or if I do this, it will never produce misery in my life. Does this make sense? Where we err is in our thoughts and believing that sin will not do to us what it has done to everyone else. It's okay if I look at that. It won't hurt me. Seriously? Uh, So I can look at that and that's not going to hurt me? Okay, that right there is where I have erred now. I have been led astray. I have been deceived. I have been duped. I have now convinced myself that I can look at this image and it will have no impact. The only problem is, is I'll soon find myself looking at it again and I'll soon find myself looking at more. And I'll soon find myself looking at more. And pretty soon, all of a sudden, here's what's going to happen. Susie will find out that I've been looking at that. And whenever Susie finds out I've been looking at that, she won't say, oh, it's normal and everybody does it. No, that is going to bring forth misery and distress and discomfort. But where did I err? It wasn't in the act of looking at the pornography. Where I erred was thinking I could look at it and it not cause me any problems. That's where I erred if I err in such a manner. Where did the person err in their attitude? in thinking that they had the right to have an attitude 
and that it wouldn't affect them. I have the right to have an attitude at home. I have the right to have an attitude at work. I have a right to have an attitude at church. I have a right to have an attitude at school. I don't care where you put it. Where did the manifestation of the rebellion that makes them miserable, where did it all get messed up at? It all got messed up at the, at the planting of the seed where the person said, no, I can do it and get away with it and it won't cause me any problems. Does this make sense? Where do people err? Where do they get led astray? Where do people get deceived in thinking it won't hurt me or it won't hurt us? When people finally realize that they're not the answer to all their situations in life and they begin to realize, as we said last week, that their self-dependency is not as reliable or dependable as they thought, where did that all go back to and get messed up at. And that little seed that was planted that said, hey, listen, you don't need that God stuff. You'll be fine without God. Your family will be fine without God. You're going to be okay. Come on. So, so you don't need to be faithful. You don't need to be involved. You don't need to be active. You don't need to do all that stuff and get crazy about it. Listen, that's when Satan planted the seed and it found fertile soil, but that's where a person got led astray. That's where the family got led astray. We've seen this hundreds of times. And, and, and as a result of getting messed up way back there, the manifestation later on down the road is misery and distress and discomfort, but you couldn't convince them of it back when the seed was planted because they had already been led astray. God doesn't tempt us. We have a sinful flesh that we struggle with and Satan knows where our weakness is, every one of us. He is far smarter than every one of us, no matter how smart we think we are. He has been defeating people for thousands of years. He knows what my struggle is. He knows what your struggle is. He knows what my weakness and your weakness is. Satan knows this. He's not ignorant of this. And so what does he do? He, he sets the bait on the hook and he plants the seed. Now, again, the temptation in and of itself is not the sin. The sin is when we allow the temptation to stay in that soil that eventually brings forth the sin. And where we've got to be careful is in our thoughts and in our minds to not be persuaded that we can entertain sin and it won't hurt us. Sin will destroy us and make us miserable just like it has everyone else who has decided they could play with sin. And this morning, I want you to know I'm not accusing or suggesting that anyone has erred. I don't know. You may be straight and narrow. You may be solid right now. You may not be dealing with one thing. Everything that Satan throws at you, like the old saying goes, you're Teflon and it doesn't stick. That may be how holy you are. But you know what the rest of us are like? Satan throws that seed and Satan sets the hook and, and Satan puts the bait out there. And, and you know what our mind is thinking? Our mind is thinking this. I think I can handle that. 
I don't think that's going to cause me any problems. I think our family can sustain that. I, I, I don't see any issues with that. Oh, come on now. He's got us right where he wants us. We need to be careful to not err. Because if we err, it will lead to our misery. And it's just something you need to think about. Because if you think it can't happen to you, you have no idea how tough it'll be when it finally runs its course. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this morning. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be careful to not err. Lord, if we're saved and we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we've got the voice that we need to let us know what's right, to know what's wrong. It's just so often that we deceive our own selves and we err and we go astray and we let Satan convince us that we'll be fine. Lord, I don't know what anyone is struggling with, what anyone is dealing with, and it may be that no one is dealing with anything this morning, but that seems... It seems a bit lofty in expectation. And so, Lord, if there's someone here this morning who would have to admit that they've been deceived, they've been led astray, I pray that, tomorrow, that this morning they'd be willing to address it before sin is able to run its course. I pray that you'd bless the invitation this morning. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.